Well, welcome to the Bill Bennett Show. We try to provide thoughtful conversation about the news of the day and address the existential threats to America. We'll talk about one very large, specific existential threat today with Gordon Chang. He's a columnist, a blogger, a TV pundit, author, and a lawyer. He's the author of the book, The Coming Collapse of China, Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World. A few things uh, Claude Jennings and I would like to discuss with you first. There you are. How are mm-hmm. you, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Um, all right, Mr. Jennings, um, take the lead today. So, well, you know, I'll tell you what, um, a few things um, on my mind and headlines that I've been uh, that I've seen uh, that catch my attention are just a reminder of how serious things are, um, how important this election uh, in 2024 is going to be. Uh, good that we're having uh, Mr. Chang on. Uh, of course, we'll talk about the uh, situation with China. And it's not just about this close call with the warships and stuff like that. There have been things apparently uh, with China that has been seen as aggression. And let's see, you know, what that means. Also, we understand that um, it seems like uh, Ukraine is going to, uh, is close to launching a, an offensive uh, in, uh, in the war with Russia. Uh, that's a big deal. Uh, of course, we talked about the uh, the debt ceiling uh, negotiations and, and and that whole agreement, you know, last week. A lot of serious things happening, but I'm not sure if we have time. I mean, I would like we to got think- time. We got okay. time as a country and as people okay. think about drag queen shows and uh, taking stuff off the shelves. By the way, there's another story you probably don't want to think about, given given your state of mind today. <laughs> and that's uh, Walgreens redesigned Walgreens in Chicago. They got it. So it's just two aisles. And then mostly for most of the stuff you'd want, you go and you talk into a loudspeaker and they bring it out to you. Well, because of the crime. Because yeah, of the crime. crime. Yeah, yeah, crime. People yeah. Jump, and, that, and, and that's the thing. People jumping in and, 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 and just stealing stuff. You see, you see uh, tons of retailers getting out of uh, cities, um, you know, where there's crime. One interesting thing yesterday, so my 10-year-old son, Manny, he's getting into soccer now, Bill. And we're looking at the list of cities that potentially could ho- could host the next World Cup. On them, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, uh, San Francisco. I'm going down the list of these cities. What? Like, what? And, he wa- and he wants to visit to go watch one <clears> of <throat> the games. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to go to San Francisco. No, you're not. I don't know if I want to go to Los Angeles and try to catch no, you these no, World you Cup no, games. No, no. Um, and so, yeah. Philly? No, you don't want to go to Philly either. No. Right. The li- so uh, the, my point is the list is going long. And the thing about time, we have time to think about it. How much time do we have as a country? Do we have till the 2024 election to try to get some of this stuff straight? Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, we could if he if he decided to, the president. But, uh, I mean, along the lines you're talking about, it seems to me, the media, a lot of the media, media I'm watching, is uh, fixated on, obsessed with that very thing, the 2024 election, which is God knows, you know, June, July, August, September, October, five, 17 months away. Correct. Correct. I mean, I know we're gearing up in the primaries and all that, but... There's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, important stuff going on. And I, I mean, I think we have time on the, the drag queens or what's a target. And because, you know, putting things out in the sight of children that they shouldn't see, you know, you protect innocence as long as you can, mm-hmm. seems to me. And have this stuff on display, this unisex clothes and all that. It just, just seems to me to be wrong. And the drag queens in the schools, my God, what are people thinking? So I think we got time for that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the schools are so critical. I was reading a, 
piece over the weekend that something like for every 20 weeks of lost time in the classroom because of COVID mm-hmm. uh, represented almost a year loss wow. in reading and math. So, you know, you multiply that and it's for, for a lot of kids, uh, those were the numbers. So a lot of kids lost like two, three years. Sure. Um, it's it just, just horrible. Mm-hmm. Just horrible. Can I bring uh, up one other thing? Yeah, please. Meanwhile, I saw this on the how's this the news wires this morning. Um, uh, this being Monday, uh, and uh, maybe we can talk to our friend Brian Kennedy about this. The FBI is expected to bring a document to Capitol Hill uh, Monday that allegedly describes a five million dollar criminal bribery scheme involving President Biden and a foreign national. Yeah, flabbergasting, isn't it? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I somehow, I somehow still don't see that happening. I, I don't okay. know. Um, what is it I don't see happening? I don't see the FBI giving the goods to the Republicans in order to hang Joe Biden. Um, maybe they're giving him something, but I'll bet you it's less than they're hoping for. That's that is less than Comer and Jim Jordan and uh, Senator Grassley are hoping for. Anyway, I you know we'll we'll see. I mean, I I, I hope they level. They're on the level, and I hope they give uh, Comer and the others on uh, on the Hill the, the information they need. But I'm just not sure they're going to. On that light, what I want to talk about a little today is is this budget deal because. Mm-hmm. I originally saluted it. I think I saluted it on this podcast yeah. and said it's a good thing. And, I, you know, it's good to avert disaster, uh, you know, dramatic loss of credit and so on. But I, I don't know what's in this deal. And here's my question, Claude. Mm-hmm. Do the Republicans know what's in this deal? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if they do. Um, a lot of details. And, and I, I heard that Republicans had only... You know, they had limited time to read it and that there's a lot of mischief in there yet to be uncovered. But it will be uncovered. And when it is, you know, what's it going to say? That's my worry. Um, yeah. And so did, did McCarthy, who we've all been kind of congratulating and feeling goodwill toward. Did he get did he get snookered? I'm not sure if he did or not, but I will say I will say this, um, you know, the immediate response from both uh you know, uh, congressmen, women on the left and the right have all been, we don't like it, we don't like it, we don't like it, had to, you know, divert disaster. I'm not sure if any of them know exactly what's in it or, you know, what they're, what they're signing into. And we will, and we, and, you know, and we, and we will see, you know, uh, one at one moment or the, or the other. But I do stand by what we talked about on the, on the podcast before this, when it comes to this deal, we need to reignite a serious, conversation on the country's deficit and we need and, and, and spending and and you know um and what we're doing with that because until we do that we're going to just keep you know having these conversations and kicking the can down the road about debt ceiling raising it raising it raising it as opposed to actually handling the country's economics well i don't think there's a prayer that we get anywhere on that or in that conversation you know while joe biden is president mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um I would despair of that. This is kind of like uh, Eric Holder saying we need a national conversation about race. Right. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't. I don't think <laughs> so. that. Right. And I'm not going to be led by you, and that's that's for sure. Mm-hmm. That's not you, Claude. I mean, I'm sure. Eric Holder. Mm-hmm. But so I, you know, I I, I see your point. And I, I understand it, appreciate it. I'm just so worried that 
you know, Kevin McCarthy and crew do not know what is in what it is they passed. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll find out. We'll find out. As the 2024 election, I got no further comment at this point. Uh, they're loading the deck there. The Republicans are going to have six, eight, ten people. I watched, I watched some of Iowa. Mm-hmm. I watched some guy named Perry Johnson get up. He's running for president. Did you know that? that no, not until yeah. I saw him on television, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah there, there he is. And there'll be some others you probably haven't heard of, not top of mind anyway. But uh, but we'll see. All right, uh, China is on my mind, and so let's get to let's get to Gordon Chang. You're listening to the Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. It's time to jump in with Gordon. Uh, Gordon, welcome back to the show. Hey, Bill. Hi, Gordon. Been seeing you a lot. That's good. It's yeah. good and it's it's good and it's bad. Well, yeah, it means things aren't good when when I get on. Yeah, I know. I know. Me so too. thank you very much, Gordon. Are we? Uh, I want to do a lot of specifics here, but uh, I've been listening to you, reading you, um, watching you. Are we are we close to war with China? We could very well be close to war. Uh, China right now is actually making fast preparations to go to war. And it's not just the fastest military buildup since the Second World War. We are seeing China's regime trying to sanction proof itself, storing grain, um, surveying America for nuclear weapons strikes. Um, they are um, mobilizing China's civilians for war. Um, and this is dangerous. Um, one of the things that is most alarming is that the Chinese military right now is purging general officers who are opposed to war. So, for instance, former Air Force General Liu Yaozhou, who is a prominent uh, critic, um, was actually handed a death sentence, I believe, in February. Now, that death sentence probably will be commuted to life imprisonment. But this is a purge. And this says that China's regime um, is, uh, you know, making uh, those preparations to go into battle. Let's uh, let's break this down. You talked about uh, grain. Do they have the wherewithal uh, in terms of supplying their own people? A, B, will their own people go if called? Um, first question is no. Um, China is not self-sufficient in food. Um, and its self-sufficiency in food as a percentage of its requirements has been going down. It's somewhere maybe 91, 92 percent. And recently, China's gone on a binge of buying foreign food, dropping 91 or, of, 91 or 92 percent of where it was before? Of, of total self-sufficiency. I see. Okay. I mean, if, if, if its self-sufficiency is 100 percent, they're probably somewhere 91, 92. And that percentage is dropping fast. And but they have been at a hundred. I don't know if they've. they've well, been close. yes, at times they have been at one hundred. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, the problem is just in general, um, their agriculture is not highly recognized. It's a lot of small plots, um, and um, like like uh, my family's plot um, in uh, Jiangsu Province, it's it's not large. It's productive, but there are you know, um, hundreds of thousands of these small areas. Um, So, uh, no, it's not self-sufficient. And what we have started to see recently is China dropping all of its bureaucratic requirements um, on the import of food. And so they're buying food right now at a very fast pace, which indicates stockpiling. And that's 
in addition to other things, not a good sign. Um, on your second question about whether the Chinese people will go to war, that is a very important issue. And the answer is, um, yes, it will. Um, the, the military will go to war. Um, we know a couple things about uh, the Chinese army. Um, you know, the People's Liberation Army is uh, the overall military, but the ground forces, the army part of army, not very good. And we saw this in India um, in a series of clashes between India and China in the middle of 2020. Um, China's forces, although having advantages because they were fighting downhill, um, they were south of the line of actual control in Ladakh in the Himalayas. They, they performed very poorly. And India's outclassed military was actually, um, in some cases, beating the pants off the Chinese. Now, with regard to um, the Air Force and the Navy, we really don't know. Um, and the reason why the Air Force and Navy are important is because if we're talking about war with Japan or Taiwan, the two primary targets, I would think, um, it's going to be basically Air Force and Navy. And we don't know how well they're going to perform. So um, that's an issue. But in general, if we step back and look at the Chinese people, Chinese people right now do not want war. Um, they certainly are more occupied by their domestic economic problems, um, by the lingering effects of COVID, all sorts of things. They're just in no mood um, for a military misadventure. Um, also, when regard to Taiwan, uh, there is a general feeling among Chinese. There's a st saying, Chinese shouldn't kill Chinese. Now, the people in Taiwan don't think that they're Chinese. But the people in the mainland think that the people in the mainland and the people in Taiwan are of the same blood. So there's a feeling that um, China should not invade Taiwan. There are a lot of other inhibitions to war with Taiwan, um, and we could go through those. But those inhibitions don't apply to Japan because the Chinese children uh, and all of society is being indoctrinated to hate the Japanese and hate Americans. Um, and so that's an historical uh, enmity with regard to Japan. So, but even so, I, I just don't get any sense that the Chinese people think that war is should be a high priority for them. And, and what is their attitude toward the United States? I and mean, when I was in uh, Beijing um, doing some education work, uh, <laughs> I, I brought with me by luck the dean of the School of Admissions at Princeton University. Uh, and it was announced that she would be uh, present at this assembly. Uh, there were thousands of people and thousands of people waiting outside. And when I talked to people, they said they wanted to send their child, their one child, to the United States. So it didn't, didn't seem to me, at least with that group, these were middle class uh, may, people, maybe better, uh, that there was enmity or hatred toward the United States. I mean, if we're talking about kids above um, elementary school who are, uh, probably now do hate us because of the indoctrination, but we're talking about middle-class Chinese adults, um, I think that the best indication is what's happening at our southern border. At our southern border, there's a surge of middle-class Chinese who have risked everything to get into the United States. Yeah, yeah. Customs and Border Protection has said that the number of China, uh, apprehensions of Chinese migrants at our southern border 
in the first five months of this fiscal year, in other words, October, November, December, January, February, was double the number of uh, apprehensions of Chinese uh, in the entire preceding fiscal year. Now, the numbers from Panama, which I think are more accurate, uh, indicate even bigger percentage increases. The reason why Panama is important is because Chinese migrants have flown to Ecuador where they can get in without a visa, and then they work their way up by walking through um, Latin America, and they get to what's known as the Darien Gap, which is about 70 miles of intense jungle that separates Colombia from Panama. There are no roads really through that. Um, The Latin America highway just stops at both ends of the Darien Gap. And so the Panamanians, they they count um, migrants. And their numbers show even more dramatic increases in Chinese uh, migrants. So that's a real indication of two things. First of all, um, that Chinese um, just are desperate right now because of the situation inside their country. And also that they want to come to the U.S. and they're willing to risk everything. And remember, these are not poor Chinese. These are people who have enough money to pay $35,000 per head to the Mexican cartels to smuggle them into the United States. Yeah, yeah I know. I'm not crazy. Just outrageous. But uh, the, the point I'm driving at is, in light of that, my little story and your more profound story and account, they don't hate America or Americans. Do they want to kill Americans? They're willing to kill Americans if so ordered? Well, if you're in the military, I think you probably have little choice. Okay, um, okay. And so, but, but, uh, no, um, no chance of a military rebellion or... I don't think that there that the generals and admirals would say no if Xi Jinping wanted them to invade someplace. Um, remember what's happened over the last couple of weeks. There have been these dangerous intercepts. There was the dangerous intercept of the U.S. Air Force RC-135 right. in international airspace over the South China Sea on May 26. May 26, by the way, is a significant date because on May 26 of the of 2022, there was an exceedingly dangerous intercept of an Australian P-8 reconnaissance craft also over the South China Sea. So China's trying to send a message. Also on Saturday um, in the Taiwan Strait, where you had that Chinese warship cross the bow of uh, an Arleigh Burke, U.S. Arleigh Burke destroyer, the Chung-Hoon, as the Chung-Hoon and the Montreal, a Canadian frigate, um, were making a transit through the Taiwan Strait. So um, what does cross the bow mean? um, The Chinese uh, vessel, a naval vessel, um, was on the port side of the Chung-Hoon and crossed um, the bow directly of the Chung-Hoon at 150 yards. So that's fairly close. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I got you. It could have been closer. I mean, during the Cold War, the Soviets bumped our um, uh, naval vessels. So that was even worse. Um, but this is pretty aggressive, and it's something that right. was en- enough for us to complain about. All right. And these are these are provocations, obviously, uh, and we should take them seriously. And I'm not sure we do uh, our attitude toward China. Well, we'll get to that later in this discussion, I hope. Uh, but if you're she and you are looking at the situation, you've got this wheat problem. You've got something of a morale problem among, among the people. Uh, you still have an economic series of economic worries, right? 
the coming yes. economic collapse, as you wrote about, um, you'd, you'd sort of want to go to war, right, before they throw you out. Yes, there are actually a, a lot of incentives on Xi Jinping to go to war. And, and if I can back up and maybe explain some of the changes that Xi Jinping has brought in the Chinese political system, it, it sort of puts this into context. When Xi Jinping became the general secretary of the Communist Party in November 2012, in other words, the China's ruler, he inherited a consensual political system where no Chinese leader got too much credit or too much blame because decisions were shared across the top of the political spectrum in the party. What Xi Jinping did by grabbing power was he ended up with full accountability. And at the same time, he inherited a political system where if you lost a struggle, you got a nice house in Beijing. You weren't killed like you were in the Maoist era. So um, Xi Jinping, by jailing opponents and by other means, has increased the cost of losing a political struggle. So he's reduced the cost of losing a struggle. At the same time, he's increased his accountability. He is considered to be the author of a series of policies that uh, have been extremely unpopular, and some of them have been quite disastrous. So at the moment, China has simultaneous crises. It's got um, uh, continuing debt defaults, plunging mm -hmm. property prices, a stagnating or maybe even contracting economy, the worsening food shortages that we just talked about, yeah. deteriorating environment, failing local governments, and they still got a COVID-19 problem. And Xi Jinping needs somebody to blame. And the best uh, alternative for him, I think okay. that he believes, okay. is so to I create thought. a foreign enemy and, you know, blame at it, least blame it on him. Them. Yeah. And and does Xi Jinping see another another virus coming? Is that true that we're, we're hearing about another virus in addition to COVID? There not in addition to COVID. There is a new okay. COVID strain variation, okay. which Chinese epidemiologists believe that there will be 65 million infections in China over the next 12 okay. months or so, something like yeah. that. Um, it's not serious. It's not like. Um, you know, because as the disease mutates, it becomes more trans may become more transmissible, but it becomes less virulent. And and Beijing is not doing anything about it. Basically, it's just sort of let it rip. Uh, what are people unhappiest about over the last few years? Being kept in their houses during COVID, being stapled in or nailed in, doors shut, that kind Literally. of stuff. Yeah, they were upset about that, but they were also upset in early December when the China's National Health Commission um, removed the zero COVID rules, uh, which was Xi Jinping's draconian policy. And they just sort of went to um, no rules. And although people were happy that there were no rules, there was a real amount of anger at the party because they were asking the common sense question, well, if no rules make sense, then what do we spend three years in complete lockdown for? Yeah, yeah. And so, um, and, All right, and so, the, okay. the one other thing, the anger about COVID rules is not just the poor. It's also the privileged. Um, yeah. So this is not something that Xi Jinping's happy, uh, that the people are happy about. And there have been a series of extraordinary protests in China starting in late October about COVID and other things. And one other just quick point, it's also the economy that they are upset about because the Chinese economy is in, I think it's in recession. It looks like it's contracting. Maybe it's just growing at 
1% growth or something. But Chinese people are not used to recessions. They don't even know what recessions are, at least until now. Okay, so all right, you've got a rest of people unhappy about a lot of things. COVID, the economy, uh, uh, the conditions of, of life, uh, I guess the air they're breathing, right? That would be part of it. Uh, so, you know, you're Xi, Xi Jinping, you want to point to somebody else, say you're miserable. I understand why. And this is your enemy. It doesn't quite work for the United States because everybody wants to come here. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Okay. But maybe it works for Japan and others. Now, let's just shift our focus to Taiwan. Um, Taiwan. How capable is Taiwan of resisting a, uh, a Xi, Xi Jinping takeover? Um, China um, could take Taiwan over. Um, I mean, first of all, it could just nuke the place and the, the People's Liberation Army could walk in. But assuming uh, no use oh, of God. nuclear weapons. Um, you think they would? We, you think they might? Yeah, they might. Wow. Um, nuke, the, nuke the whole ta- Taiwanese to Taiwan. Just kill them all. Or most, wow. yeah. Um, or on a conventional, yeah, they could conventionally, they could just swamp Taiwan. You got yeah. to remember, there's a couple things. Um, first of all, China has been threatening the use of nuclear weapons, um, like, like Vladimir Putin. And so it can get itself into a cycle where um, it f- feels it must do so. If they feel that their invasion is not going well, um, then, yeah, they can use nuclear weapons. We've got to remember one thing. You know, a lot, a lot of people say, oh, China you know, needs to take Taiwan intact. Well, no, it doesn't. It would like to take Taiwan intact. It would like, for instance, TSMC, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, the world's biggest chip maker, uh, or at least of the high-end chips. Um, but it has to take Taiwan, the Communist Party feels, for one fundamental reason. And that is the Communist Party's core argument for its rule is that the Chinese people are not ready to govern themselves. And so here you have Taiwan, which at least Beijing says is Chinese. Remember, the Taiwanese don't think they're Chinese. Um, But at least Beijing, what's important is Beijing says they're Chinese. They got a vibrant democracy. They're doing very well. And they are proving the core argument of the Communist Party um, to be incorrect before they're governing themselves yeah so they've got to destroy the democracy in taiwan um because it's it's an existential threat at least as the communist party sees it okay okay now how much cost could taiwan uh exact out of china uh through its uh capabilities uh, Rick Fisher, who is a China military analyst at the International Assessment and Strategy Center, which is based in Northern Virginia, says if China were to get complete surprise, 50,000 killed. If it weren't going to get complete surprise, 100,000 killed. Um, could very well be more. Um, and although China tries to intimidate everybody by saying that one of its main advantages is that it is casualty averse, the Communist Party is actually um, extremely casualty averse. And we know this because of what happened on the night of June 15th, 2020 in Ladakh, when China launched a surprise attack against Indian positions. Um, China um, 
killed 20 Indian troopers, and India immediately announced its death toll. China did not announce its casualties until February 19th, 2021, and they admitted to four. Now, India believes it killed 45 Chinese, and TASS, the Russian news agency, agrees with New Delhi on the death toll. And that shows you how um, casualty-averse the Communist Party is, because it realizes yeah. this was not a popular thing to do. And taking casualties like that not only reflected poorly on the cap- capability of the People's Liberation Army, but it's also something that Chinese people just were in no mood for. Okay, and on that point, Gordon, uh, so whether it's 50,000 or 100,000, surprise or no surprise, nuke or no nuke, you're going to need Chinese feet on the ground in Taiwan, at least eventually, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you need, um, if you're not, yeah, they, they need to have Occupying Chinese force. on the ground to occupy it. And, and yeah. this, would be, this would be a very long and difficult occupation for China because this would be guerrilla warfare. Most do of they, Taiwan do they know is, that? Is, do they know that? Sure. They know how difficult it would be. Yep. I, I think that they do. Are they going to do it? Um, I think that if they're going to attack somebody, they're going to attack Japan because of historical enmity. Because a war against Japan would be far more popular in China than a war against Taiwan. But I think more probable than that is something else. I, of course, worry about Xi Jinping waking up one morning and saying, I'm invading somebody. But I am far more worried about one of these um, intercepts um, ending up in the deaths of uh, Chinese crew. Um, I don't because the Chinese political system has become so militarized, they can't deal constructively with that type of situation. I think that we would find that um, this would be um, eventually escalated to conflict. So that's always been my guess about how war starts. I'm sorry, but it can I, be anything. I missed that. Say say that again. I, I worry about one of these dangerous intercepts. Um, oh, okay, one, like we just saw in the, on the water or in the air. Well, yeah. Okay. All right. Leading, oh, leading to war itself. Leading to war itself. Um, the after this with uh, us. Yeah, with us, mm-hmm. or with Australia or whomever, but eventually it becomes with us, and um, that means that. Uh, Because China believes, I think China believes that even if it's just a war with Japan or just a war with Taiwan or just a war with somebody else, that it will involve the United States. So they their doctrine is early strikes on on America. That's part of their calculus, you think? I think so. Um, And it strikes on on New York, Washington, Los Angeles. It it, um, doesn't matter. Okay. this gets interesting. Uh, first of all, they take down our satellites, um, spread disease. Right. And remember, um, at our southern border, along with the Chinese refugees, 99.99% of whom are just desperate Chinese, we are starting to see groups of Chinese males of military age, unattached to family groups, coming in, guys pretending not to know English. And these are, I believe, among them are potential saboteurs. These are the people that on the first day of war are going to bomb our grid. They're going to poison our reservoirs, assassinate officials, 
um, create terror by exploding bombs in shopping malls or whatever. So that's that. And then, of course, they've they've got uh, as a matter of just a military um, planning, uh, they probably are going to attack American forces in um, Guam and yeah. our forces in Okinawa, maybe yeah. in Hawaii. Um, and then eventually yeah. this thing just disin- um, just evolves into, you know, all out thermonuclear war. And that's when you get New York, Washington and all the rest of it. And when you, you started by saying the satellite, that means they'll shut down our communication system, right? Cell phones. Yeah, that, that would TV, they're, they're radio working on that. Um, and I believe that they can do that. Um, so, so that they, would make they, sense. They think they can take on the world. To, to Xi Jinping thinks he can take on the world. Um, and, we when, know and, this and, and when? Can be any time. One of these intercepts goes wrong. No, no, not, not when. And when. And, and when, W-I-N. Uh, yeah. Um, the, I don't know. Yeah. But remember, if you're dealing with someone who thinks he's going to die anyway, winning is, you know, you don't have to start out with the proposition that you're going to win. Yeah. yeah. You just have to start out with the proposition that your chances of surviving are higher than they are if you don't go to war. Okay. Remember, he's he's increased the cost of losing political struggles. He's totally accountable for everything that's going on. He knows that um, he's in the crosshairs. So if you think you're going to die anyway, well, you might as well roll the dice. Yeah. And by the way, one other thing about Xi Jinping's mentality. Um, on March 22nd, when he was bidding farewell to Vladimir Putin in Moscow after the end of their 40th in-person chat, Xi Jinping said, quote, change is coming that has not happened in 100 years, and we are driving this change together. And speaking of Vladimir Putin, that's a pretty arrogant statement, basically saying he thinks he's the boss of the world and the U.S. is not a factor. He has no respect for the U.S., and we know this because he happened to fly a pretty large object over the U.S. in January and February. Yeah, sure. So that's, that was the big middle finger to the Biden administration. Yeah, let's 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 turn that here as we conclude. Uh, well, what of our response? What of our posture to date? Uh, what do you think he's counting on Xi Jinping from us? He just hinted at that. Uh, and uh, is he right or wrong? Well, so far, you got to see that he flew the balloon over the U.S. And what did we do? Nothing. We postponed imposing measures some trade sanctions and some measures for genocide. Um, and this was reported by Reuters. So, you know, we gave him an incentive to actually engage in more provocative conduct. We then pleaded, begged for communication with China. And, you know, we sent, uh, you know, yeah. Jake Sullivan, our national security advisor yeah. to Vienna to talk to Wang Yi. Um, you know, it's just, it's just wrong. We have we created these incentives to do the worst things. And so Biden is saying, you know, Biden thinks he's he's trying to prevent war. What he's doing is he's creating the conditions to make yeah. war more probable. So and he starts with a little bit low level of respect for the United States. And then the actions of the United States just make that regard even lower. Right. And, and, you know, Phil, I'm not saying that Xi Jinping has sussed this out correctly, but it doesn't matter whether it's correct or not. What matters is what the guy's actually thinking, because that's going to drive his behavior. Okay, 
will, I'm going to ask you again, will they try to take Taiwan? And you said they'll, go, they'll probably try to take Japan first. Yeah, they'll try to break apart Japan. Is, isn't that more of a fight? Well, it, it's certainly, um, you know, in a sense it is, but he's got more popular support at home. We have a mutual defense treaty with Japan. We are right. obligated to defend Japan. We are in not a way, in a way that we're not obligated to Taiwan. Is that right? Right. We're morally obligated for Taiwan, but not. Mm-hmm. All right. So he knows that he knows that if he goes to Japan, we'll probably join it. But he doesn't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't shake him loose from the interest in doing it. If he thinks that the United States um, is afraid of confronting um, China, he will do that. That's why he's making these threats to use his nuclear weapons, um, okay. because okay. he's seen that Vladimir Putin has achieved success with his threats. He has gotten Biden not yeah. to provide the yeah. support to Ukraine yeah. that we should, because we are worried about um, Putin nuking Ukraine or something else. Yeah. And a- even in light of this China threat, you're in favor of more support for Ukraine. Yes, because uh, everything, everything, Bill, is exceedingly risky. But the most yeah. risky thing of all is to continue with policies that created this disastrous situation in the first place. Okay, okay. Tell us uh, as we end here, and thank you so much again for your time. And I know it's extremely valuable and becomes ever more so as time goes on, Gordon. You're such a great resource for the country now, uh, and you have been. Now it's uh, very critical. What are three or five or eight things we can do and should do or stop doing right now? First of all, we should stop pleading for communication. We should tell um, the Chinese that we're done with them. Um, We should, um, you know, President Biden has, uh, his administration has been uh, putting together these, uh, an executive order to prohibit investment into China's tech sector. Second that ago, second going to fly. Well, I think been, it is now. Well, I hope so. But, you know, they expected it before the G7. Then they expected it at the G7. Mm-hmm. And the G7 was a month ago. So I don't know. But the point is, we should be not supplying China with the tech that it's going to use to kill Americans. And we shouldn't be trading with these guys. Um, we should be doing all we can to get our factories off Chinese soil. We should be um, because we why should we um, supply them with the cash that they're going to use to, you know, build up their military? We should not allow them to buy our farm and ranch land. We should not be allowing their six remaining police stations on American soil that we know about. The Biden administration has not closed. And I think that we should uh, show China we're really serious um, by closing their four consulates. Those consuls have been involved in all sorts of activities that are inconsistent with their diplomatic presence. And just as a show of uh, resolve, close them. Um, Would that slow them down? Would that slow them down? Would that slow down uh, the things we've been talking about for the last uh, 35 minutes? The um, tech investment restrictions would certainly slow them down. Um, Actually, all of these items would, which I think are necessary, certainly in the long run, 
would slow them down because they would show that the United States is no longer afraid of China. Okay. You know, Bill, I, I, these things are exceedingly risky, but, you know, we've gotten ourselves into such a hole that there are no more safe options. So we should at least do the right thing. And by the way, forget about what's right strategically. Let's think about what's right morally. Morally, we should not be supporting a military machine that is aimed at us. We're going to send our young men and women into battle. We should, they should not be facing weapons that, in effect, we financed. Yeah, yeah. So get it to tell all those CEOs not to go, right? Yeah. Basically, the president has the um, power under the International Emergency Economic Powers Act of 1977 or the Trading with the Enemy Act of 1917 to stop this. But Biden has refused to do that. Yeah. Or I, mean, I should say failed to do that. But he can do it. Yeah. Gordon, you've been very generous, as always. Thank you for your time. Anything else you want to add? Did we we cover could it? be at one of those hinge moments in history. And there will be war unless something changes. So we've got to do something to change, to stop the momentum to war, because this is an exceedingly, exceedingly dangerous time. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Gordon Chang. Uh, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett, and you can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share this podcast with your family and friends. We will catch up next week. 